Well, as you know, we have a representative from the State Library on our show, remember when, from time to time, and uh, their presence is always welcome. We always learn something, and I'm sure tonight will be no exception, as I welcome Charles Hain, Communication and Marketing Manager from the State Library of WA. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Harvey. Great to be here, and uh, looking forward to uh, having a chat with you, and um hopefully sharing some information from the library. As you always do, you people there, you're wonderful. Uh, our theme tonight, or your theme tonight, nuclear tests at the Montebello Islands. There are, of course, three tests by the British between 1952 and 1956. I guess a starting point is, Charles, where are the Montebello Islands, for those who don't know? Uh, they're about 120 k's off the coast near Dampier up north. There are a group of islands, there's about 250 of them. And strangely enough, Montebello, translated from the Italian, means beautiful mountain, I understand. But um, they seem to be completely flat. At least some <laughs> of them are for the nuclear, <laughs> nuclear explosions. But um, yeah, a great place to go for fishing and uh, diving apparently now. There's 256 islands and they detonated bombs uh, around about uh, three of them. On the islands that uh, were directly affected by the uh, nuclear explosions, there is a warning saying don't stay here for more than an hour still. Mm. Uh, so anybody who's uh, thinking of going up there, apparently it's fantastic. Um, and there's a, a website which will tell you all about, by the government, will tell you all about the you know things you can do there and things you shouldn't do there. But um, there are some places where you don't want to stay there for too long still. Yeah, and I think I'd give them a wide berth, to be honest. But wh why did the British choose the Montebellos? Uh, what was the political context of all of that? Right, OK. So we're talking about the 50s, the early 50s, not long after the, the Second World War, not long after the Americans had exploded a bomb uh, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and that was followed by the Russians deciding they needed them. The British, uh, who still thought they were a superpower, given the sort of the, the key to the nuclear secrets by the Americans, uh, because they indeed helped the Americans develop them, but the Americans uh, decided that they didn't want to share that information. So Britain still thinking of wanting to be a nuclear power and um, decided that it had to go on its own and it had to um, create their own nuclear program. Problem being, it's a bit tricky to to uh, explode a nuclear bomb or test a nuclear bomb anywhere in England. You know, you're not about to do it, uh, you know, out of, out of London, for example. So they had to look around and they sort of looked through the empire, uh, what they thought was the empire at the time. And there in the far north of uh, West Australia was a group of islands which seemed a long way away from anywhere. And so the and could be easily um, supplied uh, and uh, by the British Navy. And so the, the Prime Minister at the time sent a, a secret uh, telegram to our Prime Minister, Bob Menzies, and said, Bob, can we uh, use these islands to, uh, uh, to do some nuclear testing? And Bob said yes, because he is also was pretty keen on uh, being friends with the great and the, the powerful uh, in, in, in the light of what he saw as being potential threats in Asia. And so he said yes, and um, 1952 the British exploded their first bomb on Australian soil. Mm. Um, there were three bombs, weren't there? The, the whole operation mm. was called Operation Hurricane, wasn't it? Well, the first bomb was Operation Hurricane, and then they, it was in 52, and then they did some more, the British did some more testing in South Australia, 
And then in 56, they came back and did two more tests in the Montebellos, and that was called Operation Mosaic. And those bombs, the, or at least the third one, was a huge bomb, the biggest bomb that sort of ever exploded in um, Australia. And in fact, um, to put it into perspective, the bomb in uh, Hiroshima was about 15 kilotons. We learned only in 1984 that the bomb, the third bomb in the Montebellos, was more like sort of uh, 90 kilotons, uh, which is a lot bigger than that was ever um, agreed to by the Australian government uh, back uh, back in the day. Yeah, and uh, of course, people will remember, I think some of, the, of our listeners will remember that uh, Menzies was an Anglophile uh, mm. without any shadow of, of doubt. He, he loved mm. uh, the old country, as they say. Even though mm. he, was an, he was an mm. Aussie, of course. But uh, mm. I understand that he, uh, he got a bit prickly when he found out how big the third bomb was. Uh, yeah, they weren't. They weren't. Uh, the Australians weren't too happy because initially the idea was, or the, the agreement was, that the the, the subsequent bombs uh, in to be in, in Montebello were going to be maximum two and a half times bigger than the first bomb, and the first bomb wasn't that big, and so they they broke the agreement. And and we nobody in Australia knew anything about it until uh, just coming up to the Royal Commission, uh, which looked into in 1995, which looked into. I was looking into the uh, impact of the bombs and whether or not um, people were injured uh, by them, should be compensated, etc. And in 1984, we discovered this last bomb was a hell of a lot bigger than uh, was initially um, uh, advertised. Yeah. Uh, what was the impact on uh, people near the islands? Hmm. So, a good question. And one of the reasons we're doing this story is... Um, that uh, a little while ago we did a, a Facebook post and uh, about the Montebellos because the library's got some great shots of it. Anyway, um, at that time, uh, in, and some of the shots we have are of uh, people on holiday and in the background there's a sort of a, a mushroom cloud. And we also did a, a story about um, uh, a focus on a WA museum uh, scientist who went in to the Montebellos in 50 uh, uh, just about um, 1959, to check to see what was the impact on the uh, islands. And um, he compared the uh, the look of the island or the impact to the, the particular island where the big bombs went off uh, to being, you know, the same as a result on Krakatoa, uh, complete devastation. Um, but he said that just under the water, it was surprising how much stuff uh, had had survived, but that's uh, that's just the the the, the you know, I guess the hardware of the island. Uh, there's bigger issues in terms of were anybody impacted by the explosions? People, and so there were the then and the answer is yes. The Royal Commission found that this was an issue. Uh, of course, there were the servicemen who were there observing and helping with it. You know, they're wearing t-shirts and and no shoes and sitting on a, on a ship not that far away looking at this thing. And then there were actually people on the uh, the land, uh, yes, 120 k's away, but there are Aboriginal people who, who tell stories about the ground shaking, seeing the cloud, hair falling out, uh, mysterious illnesses. And at um, Marble Bar, there was a sort of a Geiger counter reading that uh, went through the, the ceiling because especially in the third one, this, this cloud and, and, and radioactive material swept across the north of uh, Australia. Mm. Um, and the Royal Commission found later on that 
the Monte Bells was not a suitable place to to um, to run these explosions, hmm. and that the government wasn't given the Australian government wasn't given all the uh, information to make a good uh, judgment as to whether or not it was a good idea to have them on the islands. And there are some people still fighting for compensation. Mm, there are. Now, so what actually is in the State Library in the, the, that people can access in regards to the uh, Montebellos? We have uh, lots and lots of, uh, a number of uh, great images. You can just go to the State, uh, the state um, Library website and go to the search engines and punch in Montebello uh, and uh, nuclear tests and up will come a whole lot of images. We also have a great oral history, as I said, of this scientist from the WA Museum who went over to the Montebellos to check out the results, together with a one-armed Scotsman called Jock, strangely <laughs> enough, uh, who's a who, professor Jock, um, whose job it was to, it seemed to be, to hold a Geiger counter when they were there. Um, so we have a pretty good collection. And, and interesting enough, when we did put this post up, we got a, uh, a message from uh, a lady in Bunbury, and she showed, and she or texted in to us a, an image of the nuclear explosion that she had found in her couch. And this couch had been in the family for about 40, 50 years. And this little tiny sliver of image had been stuck in the couch. And um, we've been trying to, although she's been trying to track down where this came from, we believe it uh, was actually taken probably by an airman or a photographer on a military um, aircraft at the time. Um, but it's pretty amazing it survived all that time, and um, I think it's now going to go to the National Archives because um, we would love it in the library, but we can't keep it because um, it was probably taken by a military person, and if anything that's done by military people goes to the National Archives and not the State Library. No, well, that's a bit of a but shame. It's a good but, story. Uh, yeah, great yeah. story. Uh, the whole thing's a great story. Look, Charles, thank you very much for your time uh, uh, tonight on Remember When, and uh, I'm sure that we will talk again, if not with you, then with one of your colleagues in the uh, forthcoming weeks. Thanks again, mate. It was great. A pleasure. Thanks, Harvey. Cheers. Charles Hayne, Communications and Marketing Manager for the State Library of WA.